Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Come on. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Can we just turn to the person on our left and right and say, I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to church. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. Feels like so beautiful. Feels like uh, just a treat after a really, really hot week. Um, it's so great to see everybody here. Before we get started, uh, can we just, I don't know why, I just really feel uh, the spirit um, I just really feel led to lead us into a time just of, of quiet prayer for just 30 seconds. If we could just pray and give our hearts uh, a sentence or two saying, Lord, I want to be open. I want to be open. So can we just pray for open hearts just for 30 seconds? Let's pray. All right, uh, today's sermon, last week we covered briefly Ephesians. Uh, we just had our conference with Arise, and we covered Ephesians 5, but we're going to jump right back to Daniel because we ain't done with Daniel just yet. Y'all can open up your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is after the book of Ezekiel and before Hosea. Man, the most convicting parts areas of, of the Bible. Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read. I'm going to skip a bit, okay? We're going to skip a bit. Um, I'm going to first read Daniel chapter 1 through 10, and then I'm going to skip to 13 and 14, and then I'm going to skip to the very end. Okay? So just be tracking with me, all right? Can we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? Daniel chapter 7. This is the word of the Lord. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong and had great iron teeth it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns i considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn 
a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, and he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Verse 23. Just think, yes. Verse 23, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and one shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half the half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, and to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we give you glory. We give you glory and honor. Help us to submit before you reach Lord, I just pray that you would help us to absorb the message you have for us. Abba, hide me behind your cross. That only you are magnified and glorified. If there is any distractions, any feelings, any anger, any hardness, um, bitterness, or anything, God, that keeps us from hearing you, Lord, we ask that all the passages of our heart be cleared and open in the name of Jesus. Abba, that we would really be awe. Honest before you today. There are so many things that we do not understand. So many things that happen that we don't understand why it happens in the way that it does. But God, we pray, Jesus, that you would be the author and the perfecter of our faith, that we would submit our knowledge to you. So Holy Spirit, take us to the next level with you. We pray for protection over these four walls, Jesus, that it would just be your will, only your will, that happens in this service. We lift it all up to you. Be magnified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 7. So obviously we took a break. We talked about Daniel chapter 6. I believe Daniel chapter 6 was the den of lions. 
Um, and then last week we talked about coming into the light with the things that we struggle with and the sins that we have. Daniel chapter 7 is a weird one. And actually, from Daniel chapter 7 on until the rest of Daniel, Daniel's going to be a little weird. Okay, so I'm just going to let y'all know. It's a little different. It's a little different. Uh, Daniel 7 talks about a dream and a vision that Daniel had. And it is so lovely to see anybody's face. Sorry, I, got, I don't know why that distracted me just now. But Daniel chapter 7, okay, is a dream. A weird, a weird freaking dream. Has anybody ever has anybody ever dreamt of a lion with eagle's wings? No, I don't even know what that freaking looks like. All right. Has anybody ever dreamt of horns, ten horns coming out of somebody's head? No. Has anyone ever heard of some older person in some church or some ministry? My God. Here you are. Some church and some ministry that takes books like Revelations and Daniel and says, Jesus is coming 2025. Have you ever heard of something like this before? Possibly. For those of you guys who like to creep on weird parts of the internet, you might have seen and read some crazy conspiracies, some crazy conspiracy theories. Um, and everybody, we always like to see, you know, there's so much fanaticism around um, thinking about the future and predicting the future, right? We think about prophetic words, and we think about how people can prophesy and predict the future. I don't know if you guys were there for that sermon, but I actually clarified that prophetic words are actually words of God. So if you were to proclaim even Bible verses over somebody's life, that is a prophetic word. So prophecy is not necessarily something that speaks into the future. It's not just something where you like automatically know everything, every single thing about this person's life. But this particular prophetic word is an apocalyptic prophetic word. Have you ever heard of an apocalyptic prophetic word before? No, we don't like to talk about, most pastors that you know won't like to preach on these things and talk about these things because ain't nobody know what to do with a lion with eagle's wings. And ain't nobody know what the hell to do with ten horns. So this might be the first time that you have ever heard a sermon on a wacko passage in scripture that everybody likes to avoid and get to the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. But we need to understand there's so much to be gleaned from this passage. I want to make something clear right off the bat. I'm not going to be telling you an interpretation of what that beast was and what the ten horns mean. Like, yes, there it is symbolism, and it I will be making some imagery-based overtures and and um ways to understand what's going on, but just off the bat, I'm not here to tell you my theory about when the world is going to end and when Jesus is going to come back to the earth. I don't know who needed to hear that, but that ain't none of our business, all right? Certain things in certain people's lives, certain things in the Lord's head or the heads of the people on your left and right ain't none of y'all's business, and this is one of them, okay? Jesus says it'll be very clear when he comes. I am not here to give you a theory on that. But this is an apocalyptic prophecy. It's very mysterious. It's very interesting. And ain't nobody know how to make sense of it. Apocalyptic prophetic literature is a lot. It's just a lot. And honestly, the fact that it exists in scripture and the way that people handle it says a lot about the human condition because of how people deal with mystery. Has any of you ever has any of you ever read a mystery novel? If you've read a mystery novel, can I get a hand? Have you read a mystery novel before? Some of us might not read. That's fine. If you are a visual human, I get it, bro. I get it. You know, some of us we might read too much. 
I get that too, okay? But most of us, either in a test, your lip class way back in the day, or in your free time, might have read mystery before. And there are so many ways that people deal with mystery. When something is mysterious, how do you deal with it? For those of y'all who know me, I'm a very curious individual. If I have a question, I don't know how to put it aside. And so many of you might have had me ask you the question, can I ask you an honest question? Because sometimes you just gotta ask them, all right? And sometimes when there's something that is unfamiliar to you or that you are not aware of, you wanna know the answer. Some of y'all are not as nosy or busybody as me. Some of y'all are like, mysteries should be left alone. They are mysterious for a reason. I don't gotta know this, that, and the third. If that is you, more power to you, I am not that at all. Other people, when they read novels, like mystery novels, maybe you'll jump to conclusions. I know some people who maybe watch a drama or watch a movie or read a mystery novel, you might like see the first like five scenes or like read the first five chapters and you're like, this person is the person. That guy's the villain. This girl isn't gonna end up with that boy in the end, right? And you like, like to jump to conclusions. We can go a little deeper. Sometimes when our lives are mysterious and we don't even know where we're gonna be a week from now or even we don't know what we're gonna do with our lives and with our callings, we like to go the opposite direction and plan out every single year for the next five years of our lives in increments of six months. This semester, I will be doing that. That semester, I will be doing that. This semester, I will be job searching. By this time, I will have my interviews. By this time, I will have a job. By this time, I'm gonna get married. We always like to, I know girls, girls, I don't know about y'all. I have, I have looked at wedding dresses before. Not because I want to commit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not because I'm ready for that next chapter of my life at all, but because I want to know what dress I'm gonna wear. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of us, right, we might even go so far as to say like, by 35, I better have a kid. Our biological time clocks are clicking, girls. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so sometimes we'll be like, okay, by 30, I'm gonna be married. And by 35, and then when things don't go our way, we're like, what happened? What happened? Or some of us were like me, and we're like, I'm gonna be annoyed. I'm just kidding. But some of us are like, ah, we don't know what to do with the future at all, so we run the opposite direction. And we stay in the present. We're like, oh my God, I cannot think about tomorrow because that freaks me out. So let me just live today. <laughs> let me just not think about six months from now because I don't know what to do with that. For all of us, with mysteries, with things that we don't know in our lives, we have different reactions. Some of us cope by digging too deep. Others of us cope by running away. Others of us get distracted. I don't know what y'all do, but I think there's something to be said about mysterious literature and scripture that reveals a lot about the human condition. And we see a lot in churches, either churches that go in the opposite direction, really fundamentalist, I love my fundamentalist brothers and sisters. Some of that theology is way off. If you ever come across fundamentalist literature, you speed dial me because that's crazy, some crazy stuff, right? But some fundamentalists, they'll really read into this and say this beast is that king and this beast is that ruler. And it tells us a lot about what we want. This kind of literature, it's an opportunity for God's people to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves because the way that we interact with passages that we don't understand that are shrouded with mystery often tells us a lot about our desire either for control or for knowledge. And if we don't know something, we go all sorts of ways. This is a political prophecy quote unquote. But I need to clarify something about apocalyptic literature, okay? Apocalyptic literature cannot be matched up with just times, time frames in history. That is an oversimplified view of such a high form of literature. You see, prophetic literature is poetic. Off the bat, it's poetic. 
So if you're taking it word for word, it's like reading William Shakespeare and trying to understand what happened in the 1500s. You ain't gonna get nowhere because that is not the purpose of the of the writing. It's like reading Romeo and Juliet and really thinking this happened. It is just not the right genre. It is not the right intended purpose. Okay, it's written in poetic language and it is not written to match up. It is it is not actual. It's a quasi. So then what is the purpose of certain points of writing? Why does this exist if that's not the point of it? If we're not supposed to read into it, like we read into everything from the text of the person that we like to our mama, we love to read into things, but we have to stop ourselves from reading into this. What is the purpose of this then? See, poetic language is all about imagery and emotion. It's all about imagery and emotion. Imagery, in the context of apocalyptic poetry, has to do with symbolism. And imagery invokes emotion. So with this literature, it's not about exactly when in history what happened, but it's about what images mean what, and what images lead us to what feeling. For example, the first thing in this dream is that there is sea. Whenever people sing, deep cries out, deep cries out to me. You know how it's like a really happy song? Do you guys know that song, Deep Cries Out? And there's the remote, deep, deep whales. I've heard so many youth. I've done it before, my confession. Uh, I was not leading praise. No, I did lead praise with it a couple times. They didn't know what it meant. What does it mean to stir up deep, deep wells? Does anybody know what it means to stir up deep, deep wells? Deep cries out to me. What does that mean? Me neither. I don't know either. That's the point. Nobody knows what that means. Okay? Um, and it's actually a song that takes water out of context. Oh, oceans too. It's a great song. It's a great song. I'm sure so many people have committed their lives to the way that that song. Let me tell you, in the context of scripture, sea is chaos and fear. So it's not about giving our lives to the Lord. It's not a water is not used in a good context, especially in the Old Testament. People were scared out of their freaking minds about water because when you went out to the boat, you could die. Because there was no such thing as saying that all, the, all they got is their boat. Okay? And there is no saying when a boat goes offshore that that boat is going to come back. The sea was a very scary place of death. So deep cries out to you, waves of deep after deep. It's, talking, it's talked about in the context of groaning, in the context of pain in the context of chaos and confusion, okay? So right off the bat, the sea, it means that there's fear involved, chaos involved, things outside of people's control. And out of that come four beasts. We see like, there's a horn, there are predators. In the context of scripture, where there are predators, that's rulers. People who ruled over other people was not always talked about in a good context. Horns signified strength. I don't know if y'all watch Bambi, um, but when stags fight each other for the one doe, it's often with their horns. They fight with their horns until one person gets more hurt and walks away. Horns signified strength. It signified a means, a natural means to fight other people fight other powers. And all of this imagery as a whole talked about the horror of human evil. The point of this weird freaking image is how crazy human beings can be and how much powerful people can be evil. It's talking about worldly kingdoms and government in not a good context. 
So when you hear about nations talking as though they are the chosen ones, no. Today's Israel is the church, not a country. Today's Jerusalem is the body of Christ, not a capital. Because worldly kingdoms are not talked about in a positive light. And we see here they're functioning, this imagery is functioning like similes. It's literary skill or technique. There's also this understanding of God being on the, or the ancient of days. That's actually a saying, it's an idiom that is being used as a word, as a proper pronoun to signify a name. It's all good. And this God is on a throne of fire. The context of fire on a throne is judgment. So we see here an image where weird looking human rulers are sitting before God who is on the throne of judgment and the court books open. It is a courtroom. That is the extent of apocalyptic literature. There's also the fact that Daniel is trying his stinking best to explain what's going on. I. <laughs> Have you ever, I was going to call him out. Have you ever um, tried to explain? Think about it for a second, okay? Do a little thought experiment with me for a second. Try to explain a palm tree without using the words trunk, leaf, root, or bark, or branches. Trunk, leaf, root, bark, or branches. Turn to your neighbor, try to explain a palm tree, just for 30 seconds. Try to explain a palm tree without using the words trunk, leaf, branches, bark, or root. Go, try it. A palm tree. Oh, what'd you say, bro? What'd you say? Oh, tropical. It's something that crops up as tropical? From a seed. But how can it be called? What if it's an avocado tree? Like something crops up from a seed and it's tropical, it could be a flower. It's tall. You got tall flowers. <laughs> how hard was that? How hard was that? Can you say for a certain that what you describe is just a palm tree and nothing else? What Daniel was doing here, he was trying to explain what he saw without having the words to explain it. So he's going, uh, that thing looks like a lion with wings. And uh, there are 10 Horns. And uh, that person's hair is so, I think his hair, so thick that it's like, whoa. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's like that TikTok where that voice goes, oh. You know what I mean? It's like a very like strange, like how do you explain an elephant's trunk? How do you explain the texture of it? It's horse and it's living and it's part of an animal like how what do you how do you explain <laughs> right there's no way to explain there's no way to explain certain things sometimes right so this guy is doing his best when you have limited words to describe something and he comes out of this dream and this man's hella confused 
Imagine you're a prophet, and this is what you do for a living, and you dream a lion with wings, and then multiple beasts that come and go, and come out of the sea, and come before a really tall-looking person with little furniture. It's like a strange thing to dream. Like if I dream, if I, if you dream that you were, you're like that was wild. I was tripping. I was on something. I'm pretty sure I was. I was on something, right? You really like it's like out there, out there. And he's confused. When you're confused about something, what do you do? Some of us will ignore it. Some of us will um, spiral down. Some of us will act like it never happened. Others, others of us will ask too many people. Daniel asks for interpretation. He seeks clarity. There's something to be said about this, right? There's something to be said about this. Sometimes you will encounter things in your life, spiritually, that are confusing. It is important that you understand that as much as God is a God of mystery, God is also a God of clarity. The way to test things that you experience in the spirit is to test it with clarity. Daniel asks for clarity. And there is this initial interpretation that is given. There is an interpretation that is given. You know, the visionary, he asks for interpretation. There's a framework. The animals are kings. Then there's this new kingship. Then there's the fourth creature. Then there's the horns, where one ruler knocks over three other rulers. And then there's judgment. And then there's the son of man. It's just a crazy interpretation. The interpretation is crazier than the vision, right? There are certain themes. Humans are evil. Every single person. We have to understand the human condition is that we are prone to wander, that we are capable of worse than we think we are. The announcement of a specific time of judgment, the fact that repentance leads us to deliverance, the fact that there is certain judgment for those who resist God and oppress his people, the certain truth that God's people will experience Life to the fullest. And then there's this ancient of days, son of man. Many of us will hear a pastor or a preacher that will jump to the fact that this is about Jesus. My interpretation is that yes, but there is no actual clear connection between this son of man and Jesus Christ. We do consider this as a Christological prophecy. But from here on out, now that I've explained this weird freaking dream to you, I want us to really focus on Daniel's response and what God is trying to communicate, not in the vision in and of itself, but by how we deal with it. The first thing is that the beasts, the actual human beings, look like animals. Like when you idiomatically call somebody a filthy animal, right? The humans are the animals, and God looks like a human. I'm going to say that one more time. The humans are animals. Lions with eagle's wings, ten horns, terrifying creatures. And God looks human. What are you more scared of? Me or a bear? Actually, I don't want to know the answer to this question. I don't think I want to know the answer to that question. But think about that for a second. What would you be more? Eh, whatever. All right, what would you be more afraid of? Me or a bear? Don't tell me. I don't want to know the answer. All right, what would you be more afraid of? The point of the imagery I'm making is the bear, okay? The bear. The bear is supposed to be more freaky. Don't, 
Don't look at me like that from the back, okay? Don't don't do it. Alright? Okay. Um right? The bear is supposed to be scarier. You know what? Because he's bigger and sharp, he can rip your freaking body apart, right? But God is there is one clear off the bat, off the imagery, off the bat, clear, clear message. Remain faithful in spite of appearances. Sometimes there are mysteries in your life that seem more pressing, more freaky than God. Because God says he loves you. We sang about how wonderful, how beautiful, name above every name, exalted high. Right? We talked about how he is jealous for us. And yes, we focus on the love, but sometimes we focus on the love to the point where we treat God like our parent. I don't want to talk to you today. Because I know you'll love me tomorrow. And hey, this issue right now, me not knowing where I need to be when I grow up, me figuring out this relational conflict, hey, this relationship, this interview, God, Putting food on the table, these things seem more scary and more urgent than you. So, hey, let me deal with this today and I'll, I'll get to you tomorrow. God is saying something clear here. He's saying nothing is as pressing and as important than seeing God. Because truly we are here today, gone tomorrow. Truly. No one knows what the future holds. I hope every person here lives a long life. But eternity is way longer. I don't even know where I'll be. Next year, five years down the road, maybe I'll be here in Boston. Maybe I'll be in another part of the country. Maybe I will, God forbid, be with the Lord. No one actually knows. There's no way to know. There's something freaky about that, right? That is supposed, you have to understand. God might seem smaller and more humane than the world. But that does not mean that the more inhumane, the more ghastly, the more evil take precedence over God. Remain faithful in, in spite of appearances. Know where the actual power holds. Don't be so afraid of the horns that you lose sight of God. And that's one clear, clear thing right off the bat that I can tell you with certainty that you can take away. God, I'll believe you when I'm 35. God, I'll settle down with my family. I'll be, I'll be with you when I'm 50. That's when I'll start investing into church. I don't actually have enough confidence that I'll live to, till 50 to bank my salvation on a future me. And that's just the reality of it. We have to understand the evil of the human condition and the judgment seat that God sits on to understand the fact that the Son of Man is your lawyer in that courtroom. You just talk about Christ in the context of family, you miss grace. It is the fact that we have an advocate that has fought for us, that has not only fought on behalf of us, but has taken our place. That is why that is why we lean in and we press in to our identity in him today. Because we are here today, gone tomorrow. And that beast is not as powerful and not as important as the human that laid down his life for you. There is nothing on this earth that is honestly as scary and as gentle as God. Off the bat, first thing that you can understand. But more importantly than that, I really believe 
I don't know if you guys remember. I talked about how Daniel is about being a God, being a servant of God or a person of God or a son or a daughter of God in the midst of a godless world. So I want us to focus in on Daniel. What do you do when something becomes overwhelming? When your leadership becomes overwhelming? God has told you something that he wants you to do and it's overwhelming. The call to discipleship is overwhelming considering that you have to build your resume. Man, I got deadlines. And it's overwhelming. My identity with Christ is overwhelming. God tells me, hey, I want you to go to this person here and love the unlovable. Some of us were called to interesting things. I want to go, I want you to go here to this person that I know you have a hard time with, and I want you to love them. And that's overwhelming. Sometimes we have things that we are called to that is overwhelming for us because of our limitations, because of our capacity, for whatever reason. I want you to serve in this capacity. Hey, I know you're shy, but I have gifted you with praise. Hey, I know you don't like talking to people, but I have made you my mouthpiece. And it's overwhelming. What about when God gives us something overwhelming? Some of us will run away. You're like, oh no, Jesus, not today. The word, the conviction has fallen on you, and you're like, oop. It falls right there, and you're like, oop, and it falls right there, and you're like, oop. Nope, I'm gonna avoid it. I'm gonna run away from it. Others of us, we take it, we get hit with that conviction. We're like, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my all. I'm gonna come back to church. I'm gonna do this for you, God. And then the next day, we take the calling that God gave us, and we're like, how do I do this? And we think it through, and we try to do it with our own strength. We take a God-sized calling, and we try to fit it into human conditions, and then we burn out. Some of us, we have a laundry list when God's work is overwhelming. And we take our laundry list to God, and we're like, okay, God, I'll do this, but if only it's on this time, in this particular setting, in this period of my life, with this Extra, I have to study this, I have to do this, I have to be invested in this here, I have to invest in that. With the rest of that, I'll give you that. What do you do when God's word gets overwhelming? The first thing that Daniel does is he seeks clarity. And clarity, he seeks clarity, number one, from a person that is also in the same space as he is. He sees clarity not from his mom. He doesn't hit up his best friend. He sees clarity from somebody who's worshiping with him in that space. The clarity he seeks is not based on vulnerability. It's not based on your own intimacy. It's not based on what you think is right. He doesn't preach to the choir. He doesn't go talking and asking about this thing that he needs clarity on from people who he know who say exactly what he wants them to, what he wants to hear. He seeks clarity from somebody who is in that space with the Lord. And he sees clarity in the form of interpretation. But more importantly than this, right? He seeks out clarity from this other person who is clearly God's vessel, clearly gifted with interpretation, and this man interprets it to him. Not Daniel's best friend, not Daniel's family member, but somebody who's in that space of worship. Somebody who can impartially tell him what God is trying to say. And then, what does Daniel do with it? It says, he didn't know how to take it. That last verse is the most important verse here. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. 
freaks out, all right? You know when somebody's color changes? You freak out. You're freaking out, all right? Man gets anxious, dude. This is the first time we see Daniel get anxious in all of the book of Daniel. Daniel, who does not get anxious before people, gets anxious before God. He gets anxious when God is telling him something about the future. And his color changes and he freaks out, but he treasures it in his heart. There's another part in scripture that talks about treasuring God's word in your heart, and that's Mary, mother of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus says some crazy thing. Her son, who she had when she was a virgin, nobody even understands that. Off the bat, that's something that's overwhelming, right? But Jesus, he runs away. They go to Jerusalem for a day for um, some event or other. But Jesus runs away. I don't know. We don't got a lot of parents in the room. Um, but every parent knows that one of the greatest nightmares is when you lose your child. For those of us first children who have young, younger siblings, losing your younger sibling, when your parents leave your younger sibling to you. There was this one time I almost lost my younger cousin. I saw my life flash before my eyes. I'll never forget that. Jesus Christ, right? Losing somebody. Jesus disappears for a day. Mary and Joseph are basically almost at Bethlehem, but they go all the way back. Multiple days journey back into Jerusalem, back to the temple, only to see Jesus talking with the teachers and the preachers. 12-year-old Jesus playing a game, uh, arguing about Christology, arguing about the Bible with these rulers and teachers. And she goes, what the hell are you doing here? Why did you leave my son? What the hell are you doing here? And he goes, where else would I be but in my father's house? And that confused the heck out of her because she's his mom. It confused the heck out of her because she's his mom. It's like, boy, what you talking about? If I dare to tell my mother that I got another mother, Jesus Christ, oh my God, I don't, I would never, I would never, you know, I don't think, I think I feel like most people in this room would never, you don't go there. You don't be like, oh, I'm going to go find another parent now. Woohoo. Goodbye. 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 So long. Farewell. Right? You just don't go there. Don't go there. Not even in a fight. Right? And obviously she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm your parent. But she treasures it in her heart. That's the only time in scripture that it ever talks about treasuring a word in your heart. Let me tell you something about treasuring God's word in your heart. Because it is so easy when you receive a conviction to throw it away. It is so easy when you receive, when God tells you, come back to me, you've been praying about something for a long time. You're in a difficult season. You're in your wilderness right now. And you're looking for help. And you look to God, except when God tells you what you, what you don't want to hear. And then you're like, ah, I've received this conviction, but I don't know if I want it. You know what you got to do. You're running away from the Lord. You know what God wants you to do, but you don't want to do it. Like, Not today. And then God hits you with that conviction. It is so easy to throw that away. When we take something we don't understand, makes no sense to us. We don't even relate to it. We don't vibe with it. What do we do? So easy for us to forget. Even the things that we want to do. So easy for us to forget. Like even a text. When we're texting somebody and we forget mid-message, all the time. Even things that we want to do, we forget. How easy is it to forget God's word? Come on now. How easy is it? Do you remember what God convicted you with two weeks ago? The last time you opened up your Bible and God hit you with something, do you remember what it was about? How easy is it to throw away and yet, to treasure it in your heart, it takes submission to the reality that God knows better about your life than you. To treasure God's word in your life, to put it in a shelf and remember it, 
It takes submission that God knows better than you. It takes submission. God's mystery is not always for us to figure out, but to submit to his authority. So yes, as all of Daniel has been, this sermon is also about control. I don't know why things happen. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I myself don't know how to cope with a lot of the things that I've experienced in my life. I am still on a mental health journey. I wake up some Sundays not wanting to go to church just like you. Because it's hard to come before God sometimes. And it's hard to receive God when so much of life is shrouded in mystery, when there's so much conflict and these beastly people make this place a living hell. The world is literally heating up. It's literally burning. And yet, to treasure God's word in your heart, even the words that you don't want to understand, even the words that you can't understand, even the words that you don't know how to make sense of, that takes submission to the reality that God might know better than you, to the reality that God might have your best interest in mind, to the reality that God will do what he said in the end. It's a battle of trust. It's a battle of trust and submission. Today we read about apocalyptic literature and really interesting things. Sometimes we encounter things in our lives that feel apocalyptic. Daniel did not sit in his anxiety. He sought out clarity. And once Daniel got clarity, and he didn't know what to do with that clarity, he did not throw that away. But he treasured it in his heart. Because ultimately, in the end, God is the one who has won the victory on your behalf. Even if today feels like a defeat, we have victory in the end. The ancient of days will come to judge the living and the dead. Today's morning will be tomorrow's dancing. We have hope, not in circumstances, but in a person called Christ. And if we truly believe that God is as powerful as he says he is, if we truly believe this for ourselves, no matter how mysterious, no matter how apocalyptic, no matter how much we cannot deal with today, we stay close to the throne of grace. We treasure his word in our heart. We do not just sit in our anxiety, but we seek God's people for community and for clarity. As much as y'all think that y'all know best, it is very rare for somebody to have clarity on anything on their own. So if you really talk to one or two people or like to think on your own and then like come to peace with things, I can bet good money that you don't have clarity. Because that's not how clarity works. Even if you cannot face the things that are overwhelming, even if you do not fully understand all the things that God is doing, submit to him, treasure him and his words in your heart. It is worth it. It is worth it. Why? Because he's won the victory. Well, I'm not just telling you to trust in some random, this is not some home shopping commercial where you order something via telephone and then what you ordered is not what it actually looked like. We have victory in the end. The end game is the same. And you look at that end game and you trust in God today. 
But Jay, I don't know what to do with this mystery. So I'm going to just delve into what I don't know and try to make sense of it on my own. That's not clarity. Jane, I'm going to run away. That's not clarity. Jane, I don't know what to do with my emotions. I just sit in it. That's not clarity. There's some practical wisdom. Seek people out. And not just somebody that you like. Clarity does not lie in the people you like. Oh, that is a word. That is a word. Clarity does not just lie in your friends. You and your friends are not the only people with clarity. Seek God out. Do not run away from him. Even if things don't always make sense. Even if you don't want to be there. Do not run away. Submit to God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Blessed are those who wait on the Lord and trust in him. That's two different parts of Isaiah. Put your trust in God and wait on him. Don't just jump to conclusions. What you think is not reality. Reality exists beyond you. That's why it's reality. Remember to trust in him. And that's hard. Because this passage is a passage about a very anxious person. And some of us might be really anxious about the things that we don't understand in scripture in our lives. So can we take this moment to pray? What are some things that you're really anxious about? What are some things that you don't understand? Have you been ignoring his conviction over your life? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? I trust that all of us in this room might have something in our hands that's too heavy for us to bear. We take this invitation this to trust God. Trust that in all things God works for the good of those who work. We call the point his purpose. And even when the enemy is working for you, he's working for you too. Sometimes there are passages in scripture that you don't understand. Could we ask God our greatest questions? Truly believing that he can handle your questions. Some of us have bitterness about the church. And we turn that on God. God, if you are as good as you say you are, how come your leaders are like this? And how come your body is like that? Do we give God our greatest questions? Because he can handle them. The greatest mysteries. What, what did I come? Why am I on this earth for? What did I come to this earth for? There's no saying that God is always going to give you an answer or an answer that you want to hear. Because certain things, it ain't any of our business to know, but we'll ask it anyway. Either way, will we submit to the fact that God loves you has your greatest interest in mind is taking care of you even now. And that he has won the victory in the end. So he's worth he's worth investing to. He's worth trusting. He's worth living for. 
He's worth it. He's worth it. God is worth it. So can we just lift up our anxieties, the mysteries in our lives, the questions we have to him, and dare to submit to God and trust that he has your best interest in mind, that he has not stopped loving you, even in your wilderness. Can we take this time to pray? Lord, I just pray. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.